0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Why Wonders Why? A companion podcast to Smart Enough to Know Better. I'm Gregoire, and today I want to talk to you about the scientific method. Now, I can hear already that some of you are thinking, don't they always talk about the scientific method? Isn't that their whole thing? Aren't they a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance? And that's true, gentle listener. That is very, very true. But something happened last week that made me think about what that means as a science podcast and as a science communicator, what is science? How do we define science? What is it? So think in your head, gentle listener, about science and what it actually is. Now, what happened to me? I was invited to an arts opening at the institute at which I work, a research institute. And we have a artist in residence who is uh, paid a bit of money, not a lot of money, but a bit of money to create art based on the science of that institution. And I think it's a really good thing. I, I really like the intersection between science and the arts. Though they're totally and utterly interlinked at all times, because let's face it, if you weren't a creative, artistic kind of person, then you wouldn't be as good as a scientist. Scientists have to think creatively, which is a big part of art. So anyway, that's a, a false dichotomy, I feel. But anyway, we were here at this. art art installation opening and it was a photography installation i got to talk to one of the photographers not of the exhibit itself but just one of the artists who'd come along to to be part of it and he and i got into a great conversation about astronomy and all sorts of cool things about radio telescopes which he knew very little about and i was asking about cameras which i know very little about so it was a good conversation but it turned into something very strange he had the feeling that scientists were very blinkered people, that they were only looking in one tiny area and they were blind to the infinite possibilities of the universe. Now, I thought I knew where this was going. I'd heard similar things before. And to begin with, I had that cynical, oh, here we go. We're going to talk about holistic medicine, blah, blah, blah. But I fought it down because I thought this person deserves respect. There are they're a person who's worried. They're not a bad person as far as I can tell. They're just not too sure about something. So maybe I could help. So I didn't just fob them off or walk away or call them stupid or, you know, sing a Tim Minchin song at them or whatever. I, I wanted to get to the bottom of it. So I listened to this photographer. He felt that we were missing out on all this amazing medicine and amazing science and amazing ways of looking after the earth because scientists were too busy looking at science, too busy being scientists. And I Didn't know what that meant. So I asked him, what do you mean by not looking at science? What is science to you? And he said, well, science is about learning about the world and learning about everything and and being open to new ideas and, and letting new thoughts flow in and listening to the ideas from all the people around the world. And I thought for a while and I said, I agree. I agree entirely. It's exactly what science is. He said, but they're not, they don't do that. They, they, they're blinkered. So why are they blinkered? He said, because all they do is, you know, they look at their thing, looking at, they're looking at. They don't, they don't, you know, look at the other things that are out there. So I asked him for an example. What aren't we looking at? What aren't scientists looking at? Now, I'd like to point out that I'm into astronomy. I mean, as a scientist, astronomy is a science, but of course, that doesn't mean you're good at all sciences. So, you know, who knows? I don't know where he's going to go. But he started saying, you know, cancer researchers and holistic medicines, and we have to think happy thoughts for people, and all this sort of stuff. And he really went down a very long path of woo, to be perfectly woo-woo kind of woo, you know, stuff. And so I was, he was thought, yeah, you know, we're ignoring this thing, and therefore we can't ever learn about things really if we don't, you know, open ourselves up to woo. So I thought about this for a moment, and I disagree, of course. I, I don't think that's, I think. I can't remember who said it, but once it was said that make sure your mind is open, but not so much not so open that your brain falls out. And I think I've had the feeling that his head door flap was swinging a little bit too open for me. But once again, I, I didn't want to just mock the man. It's, it's, no one's going to learn anything. So I said, look, there was a guy by the name of Lord Kelvin, quite a famous scientist, quite a, quite a religious man, too, actually, believed that well, the science proves that atheists are wrong, which, you know, that's an interesting way of looking at it. So anyway, but Lord Kelvin also said, if it cannot be measured, it is not science. And I really believe that. If it cannot be measured, it is not science. Now, that doesn't mean it can't always be measured. Because back in the day, people would, couldn't detect radiation. Marie Curie didn't know why the lights in front of her could make her see the bones in her hand. She couldn't detect the X-rays. I mean, they could very quickly, and it killed her in the end. But they couldn't detect it, but now we can. We can now detect radio, fre- uh, radio frequencies from across the universe. But it's because we had an instrument that could detect it. If if right now someone could detect an angelic energy detector, and it really worked, and then they discovered God waves coming from space or from underground or whatever, then as a scientist, I'd have to say, well, that's, that proves the existence of God. If we can measure it, then then it's science. It's, if we can't measure this, this energy, argon energy, all this sort of stuff, then it's not science. It's not that we're not um, closing our minds to it. It's just that until you tell us how to measure it or come up with a way of measuring it, that it's, it's not science. And I realized he had a funny idea about science, even though I thought we were saying the same thing. Do you know the game will have 40,000? Tangent? Maybe. Stay with me though. In the game Warhammer 40,000, it's set 40,000 years in the future, hence the name, and humanity's fallen into disre- disrepair. It's been it's the dystopian future. There's like a, a god emperor king who's taken over everything and fighting aliens and monsters and demons, and all sorts of crazy things. And humanity is now you know, in the grim, dark future. There is only war. And you know, it's all very exciting, all very like, oh, gothic scariness. And in that, they have the The Adeptus Mechanicus. They're kind of like the scientists from Mars. These scientists do cyborgs who can do, do science. But it's like holy science. Now, they do science in the way that this photographer thought the people did science. He thought the science was... A body of knowledge. And that's what the adeptus mechanicus think. They they don't. They're not allowed to create new stuff, just in case they create robots that kill us all or something like that. They can only go out and discover the old knowledge from the days of yore, where the when the uh, the age of strife, the golden age of technology, when the greatest technology was ever made, you know, twenty thousand years earlier. So they can go find this amazing technology and repurpose it for themselves. So that's their version of being a scientist going and finding old tech and things we already know and using it and that's what this photographer thought he was like well back in the day everyone was better than us all the people from the past were better than us and they knew it all and now we just have to refine that we have to go find a box full of imagining knowledge and we should listen to all these old books and old things and I just disagree with that. I think we can learn things from the past and from people. I mean, inverted commas, primitive people are shown to be quite resourceful. It's one of the reasons when Dan and I do a Pimp My Time on the main podcast, the difficulty is when you go back in time, they've always invented everything, everything obvious that you think of. They invented thousands of years before you got there. It's a pain in the butt. But still, a real scientist is looking for something new, is looking to, to change something. Now, he also pointed out, like, in the past, there were medical textbooks of you know, doctors who thought that every woman's problem had to be because their, their womb was wandering around their body. And they had to be like, basically, a dildo had to be put inside their vulva to make their womb calm down. And also, yes, trust me, science, medicine, humanity in general can be pretty wrong sometimes. But we don't do that anymore. We've learned. We've measured. We've, we've changed. Science is not the stories about science. Science is not the things we've learnt. It's not the book of knowledge of all human information. That's not science. That's the product of science. Science is actually the searching, the questioning, the making a hypothesis and then testing the hypothesis. And if it's wrong, you throw it away. If it's good, you keep it and then you keep testing it until you break it or it gets better and better and better. It's the process. This idea is shown really, really nicely in a song. A song by the band named Massive Attack. The song is called Teardrop, and it sums up my idea about science exactly. of Of course, I'm not talking about love. I'm talking about science. Science is a verb. Science is a doing word. It's really important to keep that in mind. Science is something that we do. Science is not something that we just passively take on board. And I'll give you a good example of this. When you think of aspirin, we've talked a bit more on the podcast about this before. When you think about aspirin, aspirin is based originally on the salicylates in willow bark. Now what would happen originally Back in the day, in the Greeks, when they first were working on this sort of stuff, they realized that the people who chewed this willow bark had less pain. It it dealt with ague. It dealt with fever. So by chewing on willow bark, they could get rid of pain. So back then, the scientists of that era, the natural philosophers of the age realized that if you gave willow bark to people in pain, they seemed to suffer less pain. Okay, it's a good step. So in the 19th century, scientists start to realize, well, if you smell this willow bark, this very astringent smell. And by basically taking extracts from this willow bark, salicylic acid, and this was used in making silicate medicines, basically things like aspirin. The original idea was, give it some people, eat willow bark, and they get better. But later on, when, when our knowledge became great about things, we started to test it more, and you give some people the willow bark extract, you give some people not the willow bark extract, you give them a placebo, and you see who works on best. And suddenly you have aspirin. You test it, you test it, and you test it, and you test it. In fact, aspirin is one of the, the most tested medicine in human history. It wouldn't have come around if we didn't keep our minds open. And by us, I mean humanity, by the way. Keep our minds open to new ideas. So I disagree with this photographer. We haven't got our minds closed. We just have to measure it first. And I see this as a failing not in the photographer's mind at all. It's not his failing. It's my failing. It's the failing of science communicators in general science communicators have a habit of just talking about the science of what has been found page seven billion and seven of the book of science now says there's something interesting over here under this rock people go cool that's exciting and they get that hit in the brain the, the endorphin rush of science but they don't understand how it happened or where it came from it's just a scientist somewhere was working and she discovered something cool how How many years did it take to get there? What did she have to do to get there? How to do it? And if we taught people that it's a process, that science, science is a verb, science is a doing word, then people might not be so scared of it and might understand it better. It's one of the reasons I really love Dan's contributions to the main podcast I come in and talk about the latest sexiest science because it excites me. It g- gives my brain the endorphin rush. I love it. But Dan usually comes in and goes, "I noticed a weird smell in my toilet and I wanted to find out why." And he researches it. Dan is more of a scientist on the podcast, a science communicator than I will probably ever be. So thanks, Dan, for keeping me on the on the straight and narrow when it comes to science. And listeners, I hope you think about science as a doing word. You don't have to do science. We haven't all got time to do science. But every time you think about a scientific study that's been found out, think to yourself, I wonder how they did that. And maybe go and research it, how they did it and answer it for yourself.
1: sat back heavily into her home office chair, perplexed at the results she was reading from her latest batch of tests. After working for 15 years as a research pediatrician, she thought she had seen it all, but the report sitting on her desk confused and worried her. It was going to throw the medical world upside down. Unequivocally, it showed that monozygotic twins should not happen. Human identical twins couldn't exist. She shook her head slowly, refusing to accept the words written on the pages in front of her. The cellular tests couldn't be right, even though she had had them done and redone over and over to make sure. It couldn't be true. She had worked with hundreds of identical twins over the years. It would be like saying the sky wasn't blue or water wasn't wet. It was preposterous. And then there was the small matter of her own six-month-old daughter sleeping in the room next to her study. Anna listened to Rose and Gabby through the baby monitor as they murmured softly in their sleep. Her daughters were more real than anything else she had experienced in her life. She wouldn't even have given this nonsense the time of day except for the email sent to her by a good friend and colleague. Martin's email simply said, "'Twins, not possible.' If a zygote divides, the initial telomeres are not copied to the secondary. Without telomeres, the cells self-destruct. It's so easily found. How have we not discovered this before?' "'I don't want to believe it. "'What about my boys? "'I'm sorry.' Martin was found slumped over his laptop by his wife, who was left to care for their twin sons by herself. His cause of death was deemed to be a massive, hemorrhagic stroke. At first, Anna ignored the email. It sounded like the confused ramblings of a person pushed to the brink, and Martin had always been highly strung. But the idea kept popping back into her head, If any part of what Martin was saying was true, it would be a groundbreaking discovery. Anna quietly started working on the issue on her own time, well aware if anybody found out she was working on something so patently stupid, it could derail her career. Within a couple of months, she had her answer, and now it was sitting on her desk, taunting her with its implications. A second embryo cannot form from cellular division, she marvelled aloud. Without the telomeres being copied, the potential twin self-destructs almost instantly. Anna kept trying to get her brain around the implications of this work. It could lead to a Nobel Prize. But a darker thought clouded her mind. Martin was right, she said to the air. Why has this not been found before? It's not that hard to find if you just look. She faltered as the darkest ramification finally coalesced in her thoughts. If twins aren't possible, then how... Are there twins? The baby monitor squawked loudly, making her jump. Under the interference hissing from the speaker, she thought she could hear chuckling. (laughs) Anna felt her skin go cold as she slowly rose from her chair. Was someone else in her daughter's room? She moved carefully into the hallway and then to the door of the nursery. Listening at the door, she couldn't hear a thing, so she carefully opened it, bit by bit. She could see Gabby sleeping in her cot, her innocent face peaceful... But as Anna opened the door further, she saw Rose staring directly at her. Anna walked slowly to the crib, a feeling of dread growing as her daughter stared at her unblinkingly. Rose made an inhuman chuckling sound much too deep for an infant her size, and Anna staggered backwards from the cot, shocked and fearful. Her daughter pointed at her, pudgy arms and fingers distorting, twisting and stretching slowly in her direction as she uttered her first words. Cuckoo. Cuckoo,
0: cuckoo. I'd like to give a big thank you to Natalie Behensky for narrating Cuckoo for me. Natalie can be found on the Who's Raven on podcast with Disco Stew. It's the world's best and only Doctor Who slash Game of Thrones podcast. So go and have a listen to that. I'd also like to say thank you to Dr. Greg Watson for helping me come up with the techno babble on why twins can't exist in this story. And finally, thank you to the real Rose and Gabby, twins who are friends of mine, who very kindly let me use their name. But listeners, when I ask them, which one of them was the evil twin they both said the other one obviously maybe there's more to my story than i would care to think about twins are creepy anyway thanks also to our patrons on patreon all this extra content all the wild wonders why all the extra bits we are now doing comes directly from you as i've said before we'll always make it free to all our listeners but if you think we're worth a few of your dollars please go to the smart enough to better patreon page you can find it on our webpage, page www.smartenough.org or the facebook or whatever and throw us a few dollars even if you don't want to pay monthly hey a few bucks here a few bucks there I really like doing short stories. Uh, We've only done three in the eight years we've been doing these podcasts. This is the third one. I'd like to do a lot more. If you like them, then support. Stay curious about the world and keep being the awesome people that you are. Bye, dear listeners.